Blog Talk Radio. Today we're looking forward to it tonight as well. Sports Conversation. I'm Don Henderson, and our normal headquarter guests are on the line waiting to talk sports with you. And we look forward to a big night tonight. There's so many things happening in the world of sports. Of course, uh, Roy Cummings is in uh, 
wonderful Tampa, Florida, where the Eagles played this Monday night. We'll talk about that game, obviously, as, as uh, that was a, real, a little bit of a surprise, I guess, to everybody that it went the way it went. But we'll check on uh, our two guests and talk about that. Rogers in Atlanta, as always. So we'll get started. Uh, Frank, do you have a dedication before I start? No, Don, we don't this week. No, we don't have one this week. Sorry, I was on mute. Uh, no, we don't. All right, we'll come back to it. No problem. While you look it up, we'll come back before we go to uh, our second guest tonight. But uh, Roy Cummings, uh, you were right on hand at uh, the facility there in, in Tampa, Florida, and the Raymond James Stadium. Uh, I think everybody was a little surprised that uh, the way the game started, the way the game was in the middle, and, of course, the way the game ended up. What were your observations? Well, I don't really know that there was that much of a surprise with, um, you know, with the outcome. Uh, you know, the, the Lions, look, Bucks on the road against the Lions. Uh, Lions, you know, beat them before. And, uh, you know, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, the start was a little bit of a surprise. Certainly the end, it was. it's unfortunate that it ended with an interception by Baker Mayfield because, you know, who knows? A lot of people may remember that as, uh, you know, that may be their lasting memory of Baker Mayfield, at least from this season as a Buccaneers quarterback. But, um, look, I, I personally think Baker Mayfield's worthy of uh, MVP votes, and not just for the team, but for the NFL, because without him, uh, the Buccaneers are uh, are not in the playoffs. They are not a playoff team. Without him, they don't win a playoff game without him. Uh, they don't compete in the second playoff game against Detroit without him. Uh, so, you know, he gave them a chance. Um, but you know what? At the end of the day, look, I was concerned going in about the Buccaneers' defense's ability to, to avoid uh, big plays. And they just seem to have a tendency to give those up some of the worst times. And certainly in the fourth quarter, it um, you know, as, as – Defenses tend to do. They wore down and became quite vulnerable uh, to some long pass plays, some long run plays, and uh, I've kind of seen that all year. Um, You know, uh, as much as I believe the Buccaneers were the best team in their division, I didn't think they were a deep playoff team. So they they surprised me a little bit by going as far as they did. Um, But you know, when you you almost get a gimme when you face the the uh, the Eagles in the position they were in, the situation they were in, but. I, I wasn't surprised that they didn't uh, that they didn't beat uh, Detroit. Uh, I thought they, you know, I thought they could give them a game, and they did. Um, but at the end of the day, it kind of went the way I thought it would. So, look, all in all, for Tampa Bay, uh, a very successful season. Um, you found a quarterback. Uh, you found a couple other pieces that you might not have thought you had. Uh, you realize that you've got uh, uh, some young players that can make an impact for you on both sides of the ball. And um, you know what? Going forward, I think it's you know it's a matter of uh, holding on to what you got and just uh, uh, supplementing that. I think if you can do that, you got a team that you know should be favored to win the division again next year. Uh, should win it again next year. They'll they'll get it. They'll get a test certainly from uh, New Orleans, maybe Atlanta. Um, but uh, at the end of the day, I think the Buccaneers are uh, probably a, a team that you look at and say, okay, they should probably you know win a couple more games in the regular season and be a playoff participant again in 2025 or 24, 24, 25. 
Roy, you said uh, at the end of the show last week you thought it was a a major win for the home team because, unfortunately, they were in a situation where they had a quarterback who was a free agent. You just touched about Baker Mayfield and that last interception that he had was a crusher for him and crusher for the team, although I don't know that they would have been able to come back and win anyway, but it was a, it was too bad that uh, that's the way the game wound down to him throwing an interception on about the 40-yard line. And the other thing was you thought the coach, if they lost, uh, maybe on his way too. Uh, so two answers there. One, uh, are they going to re-sign Baker Mayfield? I don't know that they have too many other choices, but uh, and then certainly the coach looks like he's standing tall now. Yeah, well, first of all, Baker Mayfield, he earned, he earned himself a new contract. Uh, whether it comes from Tampa Bay or somewhere else, is going to pretty much be up to Baker Mayfield, I think. Um, you know, I, I don't think he gets, you know, the $40 million that some quarterbacks are getting right now. I think you've got to give him something a little bit different than that. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's earned himself a new, cor- a, a, new uh, a new contract. And I think Tampa Bay will certainly, to keep him here, um, you know, they'll, they were the team that took a chance on him. I think he found some chemistry here with the players. I think he likes it here. I think he likes the coaching staff. I think he's a fan of the system. Uh, I, think it, I, think, I think it works well for him, and he obviously works well in it. Uh, I think with a little bit more uh, support from the offensive line, I think he could be even better. So, uh, you know, I, I, think he's, uh, I think he's in a good place here in Tampa. You know, it's, it's not uh, a place that uh, is inundated constantly with, uh, you know, national media. It doesn't get a whole lot of attention, even when the team's doing well. Um, you know, he can kind of, you know, sort of kind of fly under the radar here a little bit and concentrate on football and, um, you know, uh, just uh, continue to resurrect his career. And I think he will. And uh, so I'm sure that Tampa Bay will do everything it can to keep him. Uh, they'll figure out a, they're very good at uh, Jason Light and his staff are very good at being creative with contracts. I, I think they'll fi- figure out a way to pay him what he's, what he's worth. Uh, with bonuses that uh, allow him to be, you know, paid like some of the best quarterbacks in the league because I think he's in that category. And uh, so I think they will work to keep him, and I think they'll they'll probably succeed at it. As for Todd Bowles, you know, here's the thing with the Glazers, guys. They always want to see the the pendulum on the upswing, and I'm sure I mentioned this last week, if not before. And at the end of the day, the pendulum was on the upswing at the end of the season. And that's what they want to see. It, you know, at the end of the regular season, it really wasn't on that much of an upswing. Um, right. You know, you lost to Atlanta when you should have beaten them to, to clinch the division, give you, give yourself an essence of, you know, a week to prepare uh, or rest everybody that, uh, that was hurting. Uh, but you couldn't get that done. Then you went, had to go to Carolina, win it there, and you didn't play that well there either. Um, I think at that point, uh, Todd Bowles was in some serious trouble. But – as I said before, you got a great uh, draw in the fact that you got the Eagles, who there's no team more messed up than they are right now. <laughs> and um, so you got a great draw there. That worked out for you. And then you go to Detroit, where you're, you're not favored to win anyway, but you give them a darn good game, and you put yourself in a position to win. And I don't think – so I think Todd Bowles, in essence, uh, saved, his, uh, saved his job uh, here in the playoffs. Uh, and that's what matters. You know, the playoffs are what matters. Uh, you know, some teams, if you can't get us to the playoffs, why why do we have you around? Other teams, if you can't win in the playoffs, why do we have you around? So, uh, you know, certainly uh, when, when Dallas lost in the playoffs, when Philadelphia lost in the playoffs, 
Granted, they haven't done it, and they probably won't, but uh, there was an awful lot of talk about uh, moving the head coach. Uh, I believe the same would have happened here in Tampa if uh, if they had lost at any, you know, if they had lost in the first week. But I think the fact that they took advantage of a team that was down and played a darn good game against Detroit and gave themselves a real good chance to win, uh, I think that saves uh, Todd Bowles' job. Whether that's best for the Bucks going forward, I don't know, but look, I, I don't think they have a real shot at getting any of the other coaches that are out there. Uh, I can't see Mike Vrabel coming here. Uh, I don't see Bill Belichick coming here. Um, but uh, and, and now, you know, Harbaugh's in, uh, in, in L.A. So uh, I think they're, they're better off right now just uh, sticking with what they got and, uh, you know, hope that he can continue to uh, develop as a head coach. Well, we'll jump ahead to the draft in just a minute because everybody's centering on the Bucks getting a, a a lot of help on the inside, as you indicated on your first comments. Uh, shots up the middle uh, really hurt the Bucks during the course of the season. They just couldn't didn't didn't have anybody that could maintain uh, those two center spots on a defensive line or one center spots and two uh, two outsides guys there with the three man defense, but. Roger, let's get to you in Atlanta because they're in a little bit of a turmoil, too. They were turmoil for a coach, turmoil for players. What's the story down there? Well, I want to stay with the uh, Bucks and the Eagles for uh, a minute, but uh, a couple of things, uh, Roy, uh, about the Todd Bowles. Uh, first of all, I did not know until a little while ago that Peter King had picked the uh, Bucks to win four games this year and somebody else two games. And they won 10. So I think that says something uh, in favor of Todd Bowles. The other thing is there's evidently some controversy there. And you fellows, all three of you, would know more than uh, me about Todd not calling timeout at the end of the game. And, of course, uh, Campbell made it made an error, and uh, that could have changed things. It, what's the story with that controversy? Is there any? Roy, I'll go to you first on that one. Go ahead. Yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of controversy there. Um, a couple of things. My bigger – I mean, it's been mentioned, obviously, but, again, hindsight is twenty twenty. Everybody looks at it and says, oh, you could have called timeout, saved yourself an opportunity. But, you know, but my thinking is – and, okay, you gave up 40 seconds, so that's critical. But I, my personal think, thinking is I thought – the worst decision for me, and, and, you know, I'm sure maybe the numbers are totally against me. Uh, uh, the analytics these days are, are, are quite interesting. But I didn't like going for two after the first touchdown when you got yourself back into the game. To me, at that point, you're down two scores. Play for the tie. And right. just do it. In, you know, get, the, get the points. Get the, get the seven. And then worry about, you know, seven more later, you may not get the ball back. So, um, you know, so I, I was more concerned with that. And, again, I mean, this is this is one of the reasons that Todd Bowles is, you know, certainly not considered to be an elite head coach. Um, you do, you do, you know, you, you almost every game you come away with a question about uh, something. Um, there's questions about did he, did he wait too long to, to unleash the blitz? I mean, he kind of went at it the way I thought he would. Um, which is, you know, to, to blitz a little bit less than he normally does at first and try to get there with four. And, um, you know, I think that's a valid uh, approach. But, you know, some people thought that he didn't blitz enough. And uh, I can see that, you know, I can I could understand that argument, don't necessarily agree with it, but, but you can see that. So 
again, it's like there's always something with Todd Bowles that you walk away from a game saying, eh, you know what, he probably could have done this. You do that with a lot of coaches, but Todd Bowles probably more than anybody else. And by the way, not really trying to take a shot at Peter King here, but uh, Peter King probably spent about three minutes looking over the Buccaneers roster before the season started and evaluating that team and picking it to win four games. He, he couldn't have spent any more time because if he'd have looked at the entire division, he would have seen that someone's going to win eight or nine games in that division just because the division is no darn good. Somebody's going to, going to emerge, whether it was, you know, and, and uh, if he'd have looked at it, he would have realized that, oh, gee, well, maybe the only thing that's missing from the Super Bowl championship team here is, well, Tom Brady, which is big, Rob Gronkowski, which is big, but everything else was there. You know, it, it was basically the same team that went to the playoffs a year ago. So, um, you know, and the fact that Baker Mayfield comes in and, you know, has a new opportunity, uh, I think, I, look, Peter King was one of many, many who completely underestimated the Bucks and found themselves scrambling at the end of the season because now they're in the playoffs and it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't paid attention to this team since, like, what? Oh, yeah, last year when Tom Brady right. was there because they're not worth my time. Uh, well, they were worth your time because, uh, again, you've got, a, you've got a Hall of Famer on that team and Mike Evans. You've got a great quarterback story, in, uh, obviously, in uh, Baker Mayfield. You've got a defense that was uh, among the top ten in the league and in some disciplines, certainly against the run. Uh, and, again, they didn't, it wasn't like they lost anybody. You know, one of the great things that happened over the offseason was how was the work that Jason Light and his team did in uh, keeping that team together for the most part. You know, a couple of guys left, but not like Leonard Fournette went out and got a job somewhere. Uh, Rob Gronkowski ended up, uh, you know, in TV studio. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like they lost anybody that somebody else took away from them. Um, they, uh, they, they, they did a good job. And then in the draft, I mean, we talked about it. They, they did a damn good job in the draft again. And, uh, but, you know, it's easy to just dismiss the Buccaneers and the NFC South when it's down because, you know, it's not Philadelphia, it's not Dallas. But you know what? At the end of the day, usually the team from the NFC South does a little bit better than Dallas anyway. So, uh, you know, they can pay attention <laughs> all they want to the Cowboys. But they just go out and lose in the first round of the playoffs if they make them at all. So that's, 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 that's what happens with that team. And Roger, I think when you talk about the two-point conversion, which Roy just did, uh, normally you don't see it that early in the game. You know, you see right. it more toward the end of the third quarter or beginning of the fourth quarter, depending on the situation uh, of the game itself. So I, I, uh, I, I was surprised. I, I really did not think he was going to go for a two-point conversion at that time. I thought he would wait just to tie the game up because, they, let's face it, they were the serious underdog going in. So you have to figure, you know, they're playing in a, on the road, and you'd have to think, my gosh, you're going for two points here? That, 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 that doesn't necessarily fold with uh, the, the, all, the, all the people that you watch coaching games. Roger? Well, yeah, well, I, I agree with you fellows. I mean, I, I question that. Why would you ever go when you still have to, uh, to get a touchdown to, and an extra point to tie it? I mean, uh, I mean, if you were really in the driver's seat and you had a lead or you were, uh, you know, right. that would have been a tie and you go for a win. That's one thing. But not when, you, when you're uh, two scores down. But uh, getting to the Falcons, they continue to interview um, the, uh, the uh, head co- coach candidates. And Balochik, I understand, had his second um, with not 
just Arthur Blank, uh, but um, a group, uh, I guess, from uh, from the team. I'm wondering, uh, I, I, to my own honest opinion is the Belichick deal is not going to uh, fly with the Falcons. I don't think, uh, he, he, I, from what I understand, he will never report to Rich McKay. And uh, I'm sure that's going to be one of the requirements. And I know that uh, you're very high on Rich McKay's head of the, your, you know, co uh uh, uh, you know, a co-leader of the uh, competition committee. Uh, but uh, the more and more I see with them uh, interviewing different candidates, it leads me to believe uh, Belichick will not be uh, the head coach. But on an equal uh, point, uh, just today I heard a little while ago uh, Faggio uh, left uh, the uh, parted ways in Miami, and uh, he's on number one on the Eagles uh, defensive coordinator list now, which is very interesting. He was with the Eagles on their staff. They wanted him as defensive coordinator uh, this before this past season. He chose to go to Miami, and now it looks like he's going to wind up back with the Eagles. So I guess it's all a matter of dollars for anybody in any business. Well, I think we're going to learn a lot more as we go closer to the draft as to what you know teams are really going to do and how much money they're going to spend. And of course, the uh, the Buccaneers are in good shape because they've now exhausted all the money that their super quarterback was supposed to get the last couple of years. So they're, they've got a lot of room in the on the play side to uh, to make some pretty good moves. But I'd like to get to the lightning now for a minute because, uh, Roy, you, you've been there. I say this every time. You've been there since day one. You've seen them come and go. We didn't take – I mentioned after you got off the air last week that the record that uh, – or almost record that Cooper has set, what, 600 wins in the shortest period of time. There's only two other coaches that have ever done that. And, of course, he's had a, a great success at doing that. But today – or yesterday, actually uh, – their goalie asked for – a personal leave time, and he was granted that personal leave time. And now what does that mean for the Lightning, Roy? Yeah, well, what it means is that uh, they're going to be tested yet again here, um, you know, to see just how good a team they are. Look, uh, I don't think John Cooper would deny that uh, one of the reasons he's got all the victories he's got is that he, is, uh, he has never lacked for goaltending as long as he's been the coach of the Lightning. Um, and, uh, you know, they got rid of a pretty darn good goalie here in Tampa when Andre Vasilevsky was, you know, still just a kind of a prospect. And, um, you know, they, they really, let's face it, I mean, they, they just hit the jackpot uh, with goaltending here, and, and that's one of the biggest things that any coach can have in hockey. Um, and, you know, also, I mean, John Cooper has been surrounded by uh, a team that has really done a tremendous job over the last decade of producing uh, young talent, you know, bringing in Kucherov, Point. Uh, you can go on down the list. Uh, some of those guys aren't even here anymore, uh, yet the Lightning continue to win. So, And I think John Cooper knows that um, he is a beneficiary of uh, tremendous work done by General Manager Steve Eisenman before uh, Brian Breezewatt took over. And, uh, and so we'll see, uh, you know, how it goes. But, again, 
it's never good when you lose uh, lose your goaltender. Now the good news is it's coming just uh, on the you know dawn of the uh, All Star break, which is coming up. So maybe that gives them a break, um, and they can get him back. And uh, you know because they're going to need the goaltending if they're going to you know be a con- be a contender here. So um, we'll see how it goes. But uh, look, it's never good when you lose your goaltender in the NHL. That that's for darn sure, especially one who's uh, arguably the best in the league. So. Rogers, the Flyers are coming on. Uh, what's uh, seven games over five hundred now? Six or seven? I can't remember. All the paper from you. And lost to the Lightning. Right. Lost to the Lightning. Yeah, they were coming on until last night. <laughs> Got schooled a little bit last <laughs> night, but uh, other than that, they looked good. Yeah, the Rangers. They, they went the Rangers a- have been solid all the way along the line. The Rangers have been uh, came out of the. Came out of the guy of the goat fast, and they're still playing well. They had a little bit of a slump, but uh, they're they're you know they've been playing very very steady, and especially on the defensive end, the Rangers, which is sometimes uh, not as good defensively as you'd like to see them. But uh, this year, I think led by the coach Lavalette, I think he's a defensive minded coach, and I think that's helped them a lot. Well, uh, yeah, I'll take that. I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and you know what? I, look, I'll say this, and I, I think they probably feel this way in Philadelphia too, at least behind closed doors. You know, I think uh, management and coaching staff would tell, would tell you that anything they get this year uh, in terms – if they make the playoffs and they're in the running there, um, it's gravy. I don't think they expected um, this team to turn around this quickly. But you know what? They they found some things – uh, with this group, uh, they certainly get a they they get a break. Obviously, bringing in Jamie Drysdale uh, to play defense for him. I mean, that's a big get for them. Uh, Travis Konechny has proved to be more of a player than any other coach thought he could be. Uh, he's killing penalties. He's on the power play. I mean, he's just uh, he just seems to have found a home now with John Tortorella. I mean, somebody who's willing to put him out there for you know twenty plus minutes a game. And uh, and he's delivering in every aspect of the game. So, and I think you're seeing more of that. You know, the kid Furster, uh, you know, just go on down the line. I mean, it, there's a lot of young talent here that I think uh, has surprised some people around the league, P- players that, you know, not too many people knew about. Uh, and they're proven to be uh, very effective players. And, uh, you know, defensively, they're they're buttoned up a lot. I mean, you see guys, you watch, you, you don't have to watch much of a Flyers game. You can watch, you know, 10 minutes, and you will see guys that you never saw before diving in front of pucks, sacrificing their bodies uh, for the better good of the team. And um, that's just, you know, that's John Tortorella making it happen. But uh, it's also the players buying in. So uh, it's working. And, you know, look, John Tortorella's got a shelf life as a coach. Um, He will reach a point in probably, you know, two, three years from now, uh, maybe five, um, that uh, people start to tune him out. But right now, everybody's buying in. And as long as you can continue to get that, um, you're going to have a competitor there. And I think, you know, the fans are seeing it. They're coming back. Uh, they like what they're seeing, and they should, because it's uh, it's a pretty darn entertaining brand of hockey. Well, uh, Roy, let's say if you, maybe you'll stay on a few extra minutes because a good friend of yours, Ira Coffin, is going to come on with us right now, too. And last week, you stayed on with Billy for a little bit to talk about the Eagles and their their plate. So let's get Ira Kaufman in. What a busy week he has had. Saw the uh, the Bucks play and then flew down, down to Atlanta for the Hall of Fame. I was on earlier with uh, um, 
the Mad Dog. And uh, Roger, I know you had a chance to, to hear him on with the Mad Dog. But first of all, Ira, thank you very much for spending the time with us. And uh, give us a little recoup of what you've had over the last 40 or 50-some hours. Well, it's my pleasure, gentlemen. You know, nothing warms my heart to hear uh, Cummings break down uh, the Flyers. It's tremendous. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) And I I happened to watch the game last night, the third period, and I'm with Roy. Uh, I think he's done a great job with the Flyers this year, Tortorella. Um, And I try try to watch every – Post-game video with Tortorella, because Roy and I both know that uh, he can be uh, he can be rough. And um, I got to tell you, he, he's treating the Philly media with, with kid gloves right now. Uh, he is. That could change. You're right. <laughs> it, it could change, but we're used to him being very sarcastic. Roy, one thing we've learned about Tortorella, Roy, I think you'd agree with me. And he doesn't do it often, but maybe five times a year. If he stands there and says, you saw the game, go write about it. If he does that, that means one thing. His goalie sucked, but he ain't going <laughs> to say it. Um, and so that's Tortorella. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, I've had a little bit of a whirlwind. You're right. Uh, did the Bucks Monday night game uh, um, against the Eagles. Um, and I was supposed to fly to Atlanta the next day for the Hall of Fame meeting. We hadn't met in person for four years since covid and they canceled it two days before. Uh, they said too many people are going to have trouble getting to Atlanta uh, with the cold snap and everything coming from the Northeast. So they put it back on a Zoom call, which I didn't mind because I didn't have to get up early and get on a flight. Uh, so they did a Zoom call like on last Wednesday at uh, 730. It was eight and a half hours, Roy. Eight and a half Holy hours Zoom call. And we did we did elect the class of uh, 2024. Um, and guys, without getting into too much detail, which uh, I'm not allowed to do, um, there was a very contentious meeting. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of strong debate going back and forth. It got a little personal. Uh, we had to calm some people down, Roy. Uh, but uh, we did elect the class and. They got to keep it secret for three weeks. It's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Uh, and then it's not going to be announced till that uh, NFL honor show a few days before the uh, Super Bowl in Vegas. That's when the. How uh, many in the class, Ira? How many did you like? Uh, there's five going in. Five, mo- uh, five modern days are, are going in. That's the maximum. Um, and. Uh, guys, it's the first time since 2013 when Roy's best friend. Warren Sapp, Um, uh, it's the first time since 2013 that I did not have to make a presentation. Um, There was a year or two where I had to make three presentations out of 15. Uh, But I guess, um, you know, uh, that era of the Bucks has already been uh, uh, acknowledged. Uh, It doesn't look like Simeon Rice has much traction. It doesn't. And so... It's going to be quiet for a while from a Buck perspective. You know, I mean, you got to be retired for five years. Mike Evans isn't going anywhere. Might play for another three years. So there's no Buck on the horizon, uh, I'm sorry to say. Uh, no, Mike Allstott, not getting in, Roy, not getting in. Um, so I sat down at that meeting, and I had no pressure on me this year. It, it, was, uh, it was a lovely thing, and I could say whatever I want about any other candidate, 
uh, without worrying about pissing off anybody um, uh, about my candidate. And uh, so it was a pleasure, and that's just the way it's going to be uh, for the foreseeable future. Right, I'll leave. Uh, I'll leave you guys with this one question, and uh, I'll hear it out, and then uh, drop off afterwards. But uh, who is the next Buccaneers Hall of Famer? Uh, and I'm not talking about Brady or Gronkowski. I'm talking about true Buccaneer. Um, is it Mike Evans? It would seem to me that that is the guy, and it may be six or seven years before that happens, maybe more. But uh, it would seem to me that of all the players that have played for this team, for this franchise, he's probably next. Am I right? You are right, Roy. You are right. Um, if he plays for three years and retires for five years, I mean, you know, Roy, I, I don't think I'll still be on the panel at, at this point. I got a big birthday coming up uh, uh, in August, and uh, it's not it's not number 40, Mr. Cummings. You know that. Uh, <laughs> it's the it's, new 40. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and Roy, I'm, I'm just giving you advance notice, Cummings. Nobody gives you advance notice like me. This is like seven months in advance. <laughs> but, uh, Roy, the guys that I work for, um, they're thinking of throwing me a birthday party uh, in August. Um, they asked me who I want invited. You're one of the first names I came up with. And, uh, Roy, not only are you invited with your lovely bride, but uh, I need you to go up there and, and tell some of your uh, your greatest uh, stories uh, about me. <laughs> uh, and uh, and, I, know you, an and absolute, I know you've got uh, a few, Roy. It will be an honor and a pleasure, and I'm already looking forward to it. So uh, the news is breaking breaking that right here in our show tonight. Wow, this there is are. breaking. <laughs> breaking news from Ira. Breaking news from Ira on the show tonight. <laughs> yes. Uh, Roy, well, uh, Roy, I'm looking forward to having lunch uh, in the next month, so uh, let's see if we can do it. Yep, we'll do it, my friend. All right, take care, guys. Great being with you. All right, take care. care. Great Great hearing from you, my friend. Uh, Take care. We'll do it again next week. Okay, Okay. take care, partner. Roger, you're up. Briar, I got to tell you, uh, you know, I I love you on the uh, doggy. But I'll tell you, you, I enjoyed you on with Jody Mack last week. Okay. That's right. I got to go to – I was in bed, you know, and I'm listening to this. And then when you're finished, I fell asleep. It was fantastic. I never heard you on with Jody, and I think the world of Jody, he's terrific because it's – its uh, he's realistic, okay? You know, its he's not, uh, you know, just a homer or anything like that. You're right. And when he found out I was a 76er fan since uh, the mid-'60s, um, he loved it, um, and I followed him very closely. And, um, yes. you know, I'm pretty excited about this team because I got to tell you, you know, people like to jump on Embiid that he hasn't done this and doesn't done that in the postseason. They very conveniently forget one thing. He, he, he's, not, he's not healthy in the postseason. He, he's had some crazy injuries. One year it was the orbital bone uh, in a socket. He got an elbow to the face. Uh, in one of the early round games, I think, against Toronto, Siakam right. got him. Um, and, you know, then he's putting a mask on. I mean, that's not 100%. You, you can't, you're not yourself. Um, one year he had a bad knee. He wasn't even supposed to play for a week or two. Um, I watched him the other night. Now, granted, you know, San Antonio stinks. They do. Um, but Wembenyama's very good, and, and he's going to be really good. Um, I saw him score 70 the other day. 
I've been watching them, you know, for five years now. Um, you talk about uh, a big man with, with with a small man's game. I mean, that 70 points was effortless, effortless. There was nothing the Spurs could do. Of course, they got a great coach in Popovic, um, but he didn't have the horses. And um, the one thing I love he about him. He doesn't have any horses, Ari. He doesn't have a horse in any... a bunch. <laughs> and, and what I love about Embiid is, um, you know, coming off an MVP season, he's even better this year. I didn't expect that. Um, and he's coming out, and he's not taking any prisoners. And he's scoring 15, 16, 18 points in the first quarter. He's dominant. And this is night after night, night after night. Um, I am very impressed. Now, can they beat the Celtics? You know, can they get there? I don't know. I mean, Boston's maybe. really good with Tatum, maybe. Tatum maybe. and Brown. Maybe. Um, don't count out Daryl Morey making a move. I think he's going to make a move before the deadline. Um, I'm not sure what they need, maybe a second guard, uh, but uh, they're not far away. And uh, Embiid is, is a monster. What a monster. And I love Maxi. Tyrese Maxi. I love Maxi too. I love Maxi uh-huh. too. The, the, yeah, he's, 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 he's right now the most valuable player on the team. I mean, I'm not taking anything away from the big guy who was MVP last year, but Maxi's really been the cohesion that's kept it together when he's been out with injuries. Yeah, I never thought he would be able to. You know, I never thought of him as a three-point shooter. He, he's really developed, and right. you know, he's always got a smile on his face. I love his attitude, he does. the passion. Yeah. I, I love it. <laughs> well, let's get to your really with the National Football League. Give us a little evaluation of the playoffs through here, and uh, your speculation of what's going to happen uh, this coming weekend. All right, you know, just like the the Sixers in the mid '60s, I've been a Chiefs. Uh, you know, follower since the 60s, since uh, Lenny Dawson and Willie Lanier and, and, and Otis Taylor and Hank Stram. So I watch them closely. Uh, of course, um, you know, I've been reveling in their success over the last five or six years since Mahomes came into the league. Uh, now, the Mad Dog's got Mahomes already listed ahead of Tom Brady. I, I can't go there. Not, not yet. Not yet. Um, but I think he is the best guy out there right now. And that's how you judge him with his peers. Um, this hasn't been his greatest year, but um, I got to cut him some slack. He's got no, he's got no wide receivers. They drop a lot of balls. Um, Kelsey's Kelsey, uh, even though I think he's a little banged up. Um, they're going against Baltimore. I mean, the Ravens are very impressive, guys. They're very impressive, but they're not playing. Quarterback's the going to earn week. that money this year. Yeah. Uh, that's right. And they're not playing the Texans. They're playing the Chiefs. Uh, the Chiefs, if they go out, it's not going to be easy. Um, heck, they beat a very hot Buffalo team on the road last week, so I'm not counting them out. But Baltimore's defense is, is ferocious. It's fierce. And um, and Lamar Jackson, uh, you know, he's a, he's, a, he, he's a challenge. He's absolutely a challenge. Um, they don't know what to – the teams don't know what to do against Jackson. Should we rush him? Should we drop back and, and not let him run? It, it, it's a real problem. And, um, you know well, – The spot didn't work out too well last week, Ira. They, they spied him a lot, but that didn't help. Yes. Uh, you can have a spy. Uh, you know, Josh Allen is a monster too. There's no question. He, he's uh, stronger than Jackson. 
But I don't think he's as fast as Jackson. I mean, who is? Um, I think the fact – you know what I liked last week about the Chiefs? And I watched them all season, and Mahomes didn't run this year. He, he That used to be a big part of his uh, repertoire. And he's very effective uh, running Mahomes. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he's pretty darn good. And, you know, those third and eight where he runs for 12 yards, those are backbreakers. And I, I think he's going to do some of that on Sunday and keep the Chiefs in the game. Well, the other thing about Lamar is that he gets down now. He doesn't, you know, the first few years he just kept waiting for somebody to hit him. Uh, if you notice in last week's game, especially, uh, sometimes he takes the head first dive, which I don't think is too smart, but he does get down. He does get down and give himself a chance to get up and keep playing. I got to give him a lot of credit in this regard. You know, people say they're stacked. They got this, they got that. Well, you know what they don't have for the most part? They they don't have elite wide receivers. I mean, they don't. Um, now, Mark Andrews, he, he could be a big boost if he comes back. He's a heck of a tight end. Uh, maybe a notch below Kelsey, but very good. Um, but they're wide receivers. I mean, Zay Flowers, Odell Beckham, you know, they don't scare anybody. I, I don't see Mike Evans out there for them. So that kind of makes what uh, what what Jackson did this year even more impressive. Uh, now, of course, Mahomes doesn't have the wide receivers either. Although this kid, uh, Rasheed Rice, he's not bad. He's not bad. Um, as long as the Chiefs don't give the ball to that clown, McCole uh, Hardman, and let him fumble a couple of times, I, I think they're going to be okay. Roger. Well, I know you're a big Chiefs fan, and you know we were talking, and you were talking uh, with. Uh, Chris Russo, uh, you know, about bowls and everything. And we talked about him earlier, but, uh, you know, I was with, saw almost every one of uh, Andy's uh, games when he was with the Eagles and he is definitely, and never has been a great uh, clock manager in a game. No, and, no, you yeah. know, and, and I mean, he's going to be a hall of fame coach, I would think. But um, what do you? I, I heard what you were saying earlier, but obviously maybe our listeners didn't. Um, do you feel that the uh, they, the Chiefs are going to go into Baltimore and destroy the um, the Ravens, or do you think that the Ravens could come out, or possibly will come out uh, with a win? I, I, I don't see any way the Chiefs uh, run away with this game, uh, zero. Um, I think the Chiefs' offense is going to struggle. Um, uh, they've played pretty well in the postseason offensively, but for the most part, all season, they have struggled on offense, the Chiefs. Um, they just have. Um, and, you know, protection breaks down. I don't like their offensive tackles. I don't like their two guys. They got Donovan Smith. On the left side, Buck fans are well familiar with him. He's not the player he once was. Mm-hmm. Then they gave this big contract to Jawan Taylor out of Jacksonville as a free agent. The guy, the guy's average. Uh, the guy, you know, and they, they gave him a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money. So I love the Chiefs' general manager, but that was a bad move. Uh, I think they're a little vulnerable at the tackle positions, and I think Baltimore is going to take advantage of that. Uh, it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be like the Buffalo game for the Chiefs, could come down off field goal. And those are two of the best uh, kickers in the league in Butker um, and, and, and uh, Tucker. Uh, so, 
I'm looking for a very competitive game, maybe a three-point game. Uh, if I had to bet, I think the Ravens are going to win, but uh, the Chiefs uh, are always dangerous. You, you can never count them out. This is everybody's been talking about those last couple of plays, uh, you know, in the Bucks game and why he didn't call timeout and why he went for the two points instead of uh, one early in the game. Uh, any comment right. on uh, those two decisions? You know, what I think happened, and, and Bowles is getting, uh, you know, he's getting ravaged in the media, um, and some of it he deserves, some. Uh, when the interception happened, there were 93 seconds left. He had one timeout. Well, in his mind, he's thinking, even if I use the timeout, this game's over. He's probably not wrong. This game's over. I thought it was over. The problem was, and he didn't call timeout after the first snap. He didn't. So when he didn't do that, Campbell says, well, you know, Bowl gave, Bowles gave up. The game's over. Then Detroit screwed up and didn't use the full 40 seconds before snapping the ball. They were snapping it in 25 seconds. Correct. And... Instead of anybody on the Buck sideline, and, you know, I'm not pinning it all on Bulls. And this is the crazy part. You see this all the time. These teams, they, you know, used to have like, you know, six assistant coaches. I'm talking about in the 60s. Um, and, and now these organizations, they, they got like, you know, they, they, they travel with 150 people um, yeah. between the coaches and the trainers and this and that and the players. Um, I don't understand why a Bo- Todd Bowles can't have somebody whose main job, primary job, is, is clock management. Mm-hmm. And keep him abreast of everything that's going on. At the end of a half, the end of a game, he's got a lot on his mind. So does every head coach. Read too. Have somebody else take the load off that's very analytical about this stuff, that knows how to use timeouts and things. And they didn't realize that Detroit was screwing up and leaving more time than they should have. And at that point, Bowles should have called timeout. And he could have had the ball with 30 seconds left. I don't think they would have tried a field goal. I think they would have punted um, or just thrown the ball away to waste another five seconds. I don't think they would have tried a 50-yard field goal. Why, why would you do that? I mean, that's 50-50 anyway. If you miss, why, why would you give the ball to the Bucks at the 40-yard line? when you can pin them at the, at the five uh, with right. no timeouts left. So what happened was that uh, nobody on the Bucks realized what the hell was going on, that the Lions were screwing up, and they didn't make an adjustment and call that timeout. Uh, both but Larry, before, I go back to, before I go back to Roger, uh, just one quick point. And, and how many teams can you say exactly the same thing? Why doesn't the head coach have – I mean, I can remember years down with the Eagles. Why don't they have somebody to rock clock management, clock management? The last two minutes of the game, the last four minutes of the game were so critical, and they don't get any help. So I, I could not agree with you more on that. Roger, you're up. Well, I, I totally agree, too, because I, a number of years ago, I mean, you know, going back 20 years, the, uh, where my kids went to high school, uh, I was involved with the uh, program, and it was driving the coach crazy when the quarterback, and this is high school, uh, is getting called for a delay. So uh, all of a sudden, now he's got to watch my arm 
come down and, he, and knows he's got 10 seconds to, to get rid of the ball. And it just changed everything. He was a good quarterback, but he just did not have that clock, you know, inside. He had to have something on the outside. So if that's the case at high school, and like Don, as you said, and Iron, you know, you're saying, when you have a cast of thousands on the sideline, why can't you have somebody that's in his ear or maybe, and they do, maybe on other teams, I don't know, that are telling Absolutely. him, hey, listen, you got X number of time left. You've got a timeout left. Boom, this is the play. Boom, boom, boom. I don't, I don't get it. And, and, and the guy doesn't even have to be on the sideline. He can be upstairs. No. Let him be upstairs. Yes. Um, yes. You know, a, a, away from the crowd and the chaos. Um, and be very deliberate. I'm telling you guys, time management and Belichick's a master at it. You know, th- that can win you a game. It, it can oh, win yes. you a game a year or maybe even two, uh, you know, late in the first half if you know what you're doing. Um, and it's very complicated. It can be very complex. I'll give you an example. Suppose you're driving for the go-ahead touchdown. And, and, you know, there, there, there's a, a minute 50 left, um, and you're within field goal range already. Um, then you don't want to score too early, especially if you're going up against the Mahomes or, or something. So that's another layer you got to consider. You don't want to score too early. You want to score, but at a certain time uh, at, right. of your choosing. Um, and that's where the players have to be on board, too, because they have to go down, maybe even – the other team's giving them a touchdown. Don't take it. Go down and work that clock. It's very complex, um, and that's why you, you can't trust uh, a head coach that's got a, you know 40 guys telling them 40 different things. You've you got to have a separate person. I, I really believe in that. I heard you mentioned Belichick and uh, the papers uh, all around the country that you take a look at, especially the New York Post. Uh, so, you know, and uh, Roger just said at the top he's coming into Atlanta for another interview. But it doesn't seem like they're, they're quite as enthusiastic about going for Belichick in a lot of places. I, I heard some speculation about this uh, situation today, gentlemen. I might as well break it on your show. Um, and I heard it from uh, a good source that, that knows uh, what's going on in Atlanta. Uh, and this makes a little bit of sense. People say, well, why haven't they wrapped this up with Belichick? What's going on here? He's not doing any other interviews with other franchises. Uh, The latest wrinkle I've heard, and it makes a little bit of a sense. You got Arthur Blank. He's in his 80s. He's desperate. He's absolutely desperate for a championship. He doesn't have any. He thought he should have had one against Brady, and he didn't get it. Now he's got to get it. He wants Belichick. There's no question about it. He'll give him all the money he wants, not an issue. All the power he wants, not an issue. However, they got layers in Atlanta, the way they're structured. Now, they got a general manager, Fontenot, and if Belichick says, I want power over Fontenot, I I don't think that's going to be a deal breaker for blank. I don't think it will be. However, and you guys know this very well, there's another guy standing in the way. His name's Rich McKay. Right. Well, Rich McKay was the former Bucks GM. He hired Tony Dungy. He had the falling out with uh, Gruden during the championship season. Uh, by the end of the next year, he was gone, went to Atlanta. Uh, 
He's been there 20 years. He's, he's Blank's right-hand man. He's mm-hmm. made Blank a lot of money. He got the uh, new stadium, Mercedes-Benz built. He does a lot of things for Blank. Blank has total confidence in McKay as a businessman. What's a little unclear is how much influence McKay has in football operations. He, he claims that he doesn't have much. However, after the season, they fired Arthur Smith. Who shows up sitting next to Blank at the press conference? Well, it's McKay. It's not the general manager. Latest speculation, guys. Belichick wants the job, and he wants McKay out. That is a tough one for Arthur M. Blank because he's built up a relationship with McKay for two decades as much as he wants Belichick. Would he throw McKay overboard? Maybe they can reach a compromise where Blank tells Belichick McKay will stay 100% on the business side. On the business side. He'll have nothing to do with the draft. He'll have nothing to do. He's not going to the combine. He's not doing this. He's not doing that. That's that's You're in charge of that. Maybe they can work that out. But McKay could be a stumbling block as far as Belichick's concerned. And I kind of understand it from his perspective. Well, I, heard, I, heard, I heard the same thing. Uh, that Belichick refuses to report the Rich McKay. And I agree with they that. Did not, yeah, they did not even have uh, – it was just uh, – initially it was just uh, Arthur Blank and Rich McKay. Uh, Fontenot wasn't even there. Now, supposedly right. that first meeting was strictly with uh, Arthur Blank and Belichick. Right. Now they've got Vrabel coming in for an interview. They have a number of others coming in for interviews from what I just heard today, okay? And uh, the uh, I'm with you. I think it's going to be an issue, but I'm also thinking, will Belichick get another opportunity with another team the way he wants it today? It's a different world than it was 25 years ago when he went to the Pats. And the other thing is with Arthur Blank's total uh, corporation, you've got the guy that he hired that was president of Mercedes-Benz North America that runs the overall, you know, which is um, the, uh, what is it, the PGA golf uh, stores nationwide and all this other stuff, you know, and he may have uh, Arthur's ear quietly, you don't know saying, hey, listen, do we really need to put up with this? Because you know the way, and and with the media, they need to get media, more media support for the Falcons. I mean, I can tell you, I used to go to Mike Smith's press conferences when they were winning. It would be D. Orlando Ledbetter sometimes and me, and if I wasn't there, it was Daryl. And he'll tell you that. He told us that on the show. Whereas you go over to Mark Rick's press conferences in Athens, you got 30, 40, 50 people there, okay? You know, and so there's just a lot to be said about the pro football in Atlanta and do they really, uh, they need um, media support. And I wonder, you know, with with the way Belichick is, if it's going to have any effect on that. You you, you made a lot of good points. 
you've made a lot of good points. Um, and one of the interesting ones is um, how many options really does Bill Belichick have at this point? That's, um, that's exactly I right. I understand Harbor uh, has uh, gone to the Chargers as a yeah. done deal. Uh, that was another place where I thought Belichick would have interest with, with that quarterback. Um, I don't think Belichick's going anywhere where he doesn't think he's going to have a quarterback. Now, with Atlanta, you would say, well, wait a minute. They pick eighth. Who says they're going to get one of these top guys? Well, maybe he's thinking about a Kirk Cousins, uh, maybe even a Mayfield at this point. Uh, but he's not going in there with Taylor Heineke. You know, he's not. No. Uh, no. And as far as this Rich McKay, I'll tell you this, from what I know, and I, I know Blank a little bit, I certainly know McKay. If Belichick's saying I'm not coming to, unless you fire McKay, I don't think that's happening. He's not going to fire him, uh, nor should he. Uh, mm-hmm. But he could remove him from football operations and at the very least say you don't have to report to Rich McKay. There's no reason Bill Belichick has to report to Rich McKay. I mean, that's crazy. Uh, so if that's the stumbling block, I'm doing that if I'm blank. But McKay's still on my payroll. I don't think Blank's going to toss him overboard. Uh, but you make a lot of good points about that Atlanta media. It's a weird media in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. You're right. Uh, I would uh, when when the Falcons would come in once in a while, I'd go to see uh, you know Arthur Smith's uh, press conference, and uh, everything was uh, okay. Led you know D. Orlando Ledbetter. He, he, you know he's the guy. He's the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know uh, their columnists. Uh, by the way, uh, and I noticed this after this particular season. They're columnists. They've they've turned on blank a little bit, and they've turned on McKay in the paper. You don't see that often in the AJC. Not often. Right. Um, You're right. But um, you know they go seven and ten three straight years. I mean, what are you going to do? For you know you're going to fire the coach, and then the problems probably go beyond the coach. So, I to me, blank wants Belichick, and he wants him bad. The question is, can he? All right. Let me wind it up. Let me wind it up with this. All right. Were you surprised the Eagles did not make a move that they uh, decided to, to go with the, with the coach that had such a difficult time the second half of the season? No, I'm not. And I didn't think Sirianni deserved to be canned. I, I didn't. Okay. Uh, one, year removed, one year removed from the Super Bowl, and a very competitive Super Bowl it was. Could have won the game. Uh, mm-hmm. Certainly didn't play badly. Didn't play badly. Um you know, the 10-1 and one start is what changed everything for Sirianni. Uh, if he would have started 7-4, and four, uh, people wouldn't have been screaming. Uh, but the extent of the collapse was alarming. I mean, it was mm. an epic collapse. Um, but I didn't think he deserved to lose his job. Um, however, uh, as expected, he had to make some major changes. If he didn't want to make those changes, he's out. And I think Lurie was clear about that with Sirianni, and then it's Sirianni's decision whether he's going to do it. But if you don't do what your owner tells you to do, you're out. And uh, nobody would have had any sympathy for Sirianni. Eagle fans are up in arms. I don't blame them, but they got a good team. Hertz is not 32 years old. He's not a bum, and they'll be back. But they're going to they, they're gonna have to change some things in this coaching staff and philosophy, um, 
and I'm going to give Sirianni uh, another chance. All right, well, we'll leave it at that. I want to thank you very, very much, as always, for coming on with us. And oh, we hear you all around the country. Place. I'm glad we can get you on right here. And the Florida Network, they've got you tacked in all the time, too. So you're a busy, busy man. My pleasure, gentlemen. Always enjoy it. Hey, Ira, before you go, I just got one thing. I'm holding in my hand the 76ers yearbook from 1966 to 67. And if you would would like to have it, uh, Frank, you know, has your uh, home address or you can give it to him. And I will be happy because I know you're a huge fan to put this in the mail to you. I would love that, my friend, and I will send uh, Frank my address. And, uh, hey, put a crisp $100 bill inside of it, too, inside the first page. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, Ira, Ira you're talking that. small change when you talk to Roger about a $100 no, bill. No, you know, no, maybe no, maybe 1000 would be better. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Thanks, Don't thanks for everything, them. guys. Okay, take care, Ira. God bless. Oh, okay. <laughs> Leave it uh, Mike Sisek is on the lines down there in the Baltimore, Washington area. And, of course, we talked to him week after week after week about all the things that are happening. And maybe their former head coach may be coming in to work for the Philadelphia Eagles. I saw that in the paper today, too. Is that any traction to that, Mike? No, Don, it's, it's Stevie K. Mike doesn't come up oh, with Oh, Stevie K is baseball. Yeah, right. Oh, Mike. That's even better. How about that? I didn't know where he gave me a list of, of the, the – I didn't get the change. Okay. Stevie K, yeah, a lot of news on the baseball front as well. The Hall of Fame, first of all, uh, were you pleased with the way it went, with the uh, players that got in and the players that did not? Some of your thoughts on the Hall of Fame first. Yeah, the Hall of Fame is interesting. You know, the uh, I think everybody got in that you know, that deserved to be get, to get in. You know, you can look at Billy Wagner and Gary Sheffield and say, you know, they probably should have got in themselves. Uh, Wagner probably has more. Tony missed by four four boats. Yeah. But, you know, Hall of Fame is Hall of Fame, and it's more about arguing who's in and who's out every year. But, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's quite an honor for the three, and I think um, I, I think overall the, uh, the voting was fair. And, like I say, the only issue I would have is maybe a little bit more love for Billy Wagner and Gary Sheffield. And then we'll see where it goes next year. Roger? Hey, Steve, uh, I brought this up uh, you know, earlier. I heard about it today, that, uh, it, which is absolutely uh, surprise, shocking to me. The L.A. Times has announced that they will not have a beat writer assigned to the Angels or the Dodgers. I just I find that just uh, it's sad. I mean, uh, you're talking about the Dodgers, especially with all the notoriety and, and what's going to come about this, this uh, upcoming season with their additions. Had you heard that story about the uh, times because of economical situations, they get ri- got rid of a lot of their uh, st- uh, sports staff and news staff, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way to look at it is the coverage of the Dodgers and Angels is saturated by, by a lot of writers. And if the L.A. Times is losing money and the owner doesn't want to continue to pay the salaries, and that's the risk they're taking. If people stop, um, you know, trying to get their information from the L.A. Times, well, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to, you know, fall further into irrelevancy. And somebody else will step in to fill the vacuum. I mean, 
when you really look at covering any news media, it's all about a vacuum. It's not one or two papers anymore. It's not one or two ways to get your uh, information. I mean, the athletic down here in Tampa Bay, we've got the Lightning, we've got the Buccaneers, and we've got the Rays. We have playoff teams. We have NHL Stanley Cup champions. We've got Super Bowl champions, but the Athletic doesn't have a dedicated writer to cover any of the three. Um, the vacuum will be filled by somebody else, and a lot of people down here won't subscribe to the uh, to the Athletic because, of course, they can't get the coverage. So, you know, as things move forward in the future, people just have to adjust. And, you know, a, a, a bedrock of uh, media like the L.A. Times has made a decision, and I'm sure the people are going to be able to get their coverage of the Dodgers as if they didn't miss a beat. I don't think they're going to – uh, I don't think there's going to be a story that gets by anybody in L.A. It's, uh, it's a shame, but that's the way it is. We have to move forward in the uh, media that we have. And the other thing is that uh, there's so much coverage from TV. Uh, exactly. You know, and, and, and all they're doing, in, in fact, you know, well, Roger and I say it all the time because I get the New York Post every day. And uh, even the local paper here, the, the, the Herald in, in Sarasota, I mean, they have on all of their major pages the stock market. This it's it's the day before stories. It's not today, and uh, that's that's the thing now that uh, they're going to press at like six o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night, and there's no possibility of getting any even early gains. Sometimes the New York Post will uh, will go on a on a Saturday night a little bit later on, and you'll get some of the early games if they're playing at six thirty or seven o'clock, but you won't get anything after that. And, uh, you know, that's really, to me, that's a travesty for the papers because you just can't get any information on the games you want to see that are late at night. Yeah, I mean, but you can always find that information. You can always get that information by simply going on to, you know, a uh, computer going online or or anywhere else. It's just different. I mean, you know, guys, when I was when I was growing up, I used to love a publication called The National. I read it every week. You know, I used to buy it at the newsstand. Uh, it was one of Frank DeFord's uh, ventures, and mm-hmm. I thought that was great and outstanding, and it, and it went under, and I kind of like was like very upset about that. And other mediums have come out, other other publications. I used to get Baseball Digest as a kid, and you know, I just I just look at how things have changed, and I always ask myself, what is it I would be missing if I lost one of these um, one of these mediums? What would I be missing from my sports coverage? And I can't I can't really say to you that there's anything out there right now that's really giving me, uh, personally, giving me something that I can't find anywhere else. And the sad part is even Sports Illustrated now, unfortunately, and you mentioned Frank Ford. And, uh, my aunt was, of course, the very first editor at uh, Sports Illustrated. She hired Frank. She hired <laughs> yeah. all, all the big-time uh, writers at uh, Sports Illustrated. And uh, You, know, what uh, the, you yeah. know what's a shame about Sports Illustrated is, you know, the entire history of Sports Illustrated has never been about breaking stories or being first. Right. Even going back 20, 10, 15 years ago, Sports Illustrated stories were always after the fact, but they were so well done and so right. informative. And, and the time that was taken, you weren't getting, like the week after the Super Bowl, you get the Sports Illustrated that would cover the Super Bowl. So that dynamic never changed. So something else happened there because Sports Illustrated's always been an after-the-fact magazine. And I still believe that there is a, a medium out there for after-the-fact, good quality stories where we're just nobody will take the time to produce them. They're hard to find. Well, I certainly well, hope I, that I, the investors that are talking about buying it and 
putting it back into uh, you know either a, a weekly or biweekly uh, uh, magazine again. Uh, you just hope that they do it, Roger. Well, uh, I know Frank DeFord uh, was one of the great writers about the Miss America pageant. I mean, uh, I think he was a judge at one time, and I mean, he was so diverse and uh, on TV was uh, just terrific. Uh, but you know, going back to the newspapers, like I used the, the New York Daily News, the Philadelphia Daily News, the Post, you can still get uh, Inquirer, Bulletin. But the, the one that at the time really hit a uh, niche, and I know, uh, Steve, uh, probably even before your time, but Frank, uh, Donna, and I are familiar. The Philadelphia uh, Journal came out, and it was all about sports, very little on news. But the one thing everybody looked at for every day, what was it, the page six girl or something like that? Yeah, and it was a copy. It was, yeah, yeah, it was. And it was, but, you know, I couldn't wait to get it because it was all about sports and it would all give you a lot of um, extra stuff about the game, not just about the game, you know, not just the statistics. But you're right. I mean, it's a different world. Uh, you know, we're walking around with a, uh, a wrist. I don't have one, but an Apple Watch, and here when we were kids, it was Dick Tracy uh, with his uh, two-way wrist radio. And what do you have today? you got a two-way wrist radio on your wrist. It's a different world. Stevie, let's talk a little baseball now. Some of your observations about uh, how the free agency thing is going. Secondly, about the uh, amount of money that's being paid for the uh, separate players and also the fact that so many are still available. Yeah. I'll start off by saying that uh, the slow free agent period was was more than expected with the uh, regional sports network money. Nothing will slow a market down more than uncertainty of revenue, even if it's a small decline or even if it's the, if it's a small decline in what you expected of an increase. You know, if you if you expected an increase of 25% year over year and it was only a 20%, that's going to put a little shock to the system. Now, the way I know that this is expected. And I think if you, if anybody follows social media, the way you know that this is not an unexpected free agency, the the pace of it is uh, Tony Clark and Scott Boris aren't dropping uh, negative stories through the media day in and day out about the owners and collusion and, uh, and, and basically making uh, statements every day about, you know, bad, you know, low ball offers or whatever. So right. I think everybody in the industry this this year, I'm not going to talk about other years, but this year everybody in the industry is kind of in a pause mode to allow this RSN, um, you know, the Diamond Sports Group Regional Sports Network court case um, to go through and find out who's getting money from where and what's the, what's the outlay of cash going to look like for these teams over the next three to five years. Um a, a good example of this is Scott Boris is the agent for Jordan Montgomery, just for example. Uh, Texas is one of the teams that's very hamstrung right now, not knowing with certainty how much of the $111 million that they expect to get from their regional money is going to actually filter to them. And not only for this year, but in year 25, 26, 27, what are they going to do? I'm sure the Rangers want to reunite with Jordan Montgomery, who's been very vocal about wanting to return to the Rangers. 
and I don't think he wants to explore much of the free agent market until the Rangers are involved. Uh, now, that doesn't mean that Cody Bellinger, another Boris client, or Blake Snell can't sign, but I do think right now it's a matter of let's let things settle down, and that's what the slowdown has been. Of course, you see a guy, I know I'm, I'm talking to a lot of Philly guys, and I think the contract that Reese Hoskins um, got with Milwaukee is a reflection of, hey, I'm not going to wait around for Cody Bellinger to sign. I've already right. explored. Nobody's offered me a five- or six-year deal. So he did the Josh Bell deal from last year, where Josh Bell did the two-year $36 million with Cleveland with an opt-out after one year, if he should so choose to take it. And that's the route that Reese Hoskins went. So we're seeing movement slowly but surely. You know, Josh Hader signed. He got a nice deal. Um, he got he got a nice five-year, $95 million deal. And now we move on to, you know, now, we, now we're going to move on to uh, the rest of the uh, relief market is starting to move. You've, you've already seen three or four of those guys, Bob Stevenson, uh, with the Angels, Matt Moore with the Angels, or all this Chapman with the Pirates. So it'll go in an orderly fashion, but I think that, you know, a lot of guys just want to wait for the big boys uh, to clear out, and they also want to uh, let the regional um, TV deal get some clarity. Roger? Yeah, I was happy to see that uh, Reese got uh, got a nice deal. Uh, I think I read today that he was making what eleven, twelve million, and now he's uh, making about fifteen, sixteen, whatever the case might be. And uh, but I, I like that, like you described, uh, Steve, the opt out after one year, so uh, mm-hmm. he can see exactly what the market uh, will bear. The other thing is, uh, you know, hopefully uh, Harper's going to make it for, you know, a whole whole season at first base, and uh, that'll be their uh, first baseman for many years to come. But you never know, and uh, maybe a year from now, the Phillies will look at uh, Hoskins and say, hey, you know, we need you back with us because uh, he just, he and his wife do so much good uh, in the Philadelphia uh, region that, uh, you know, you were hoping that possibly he would be a lifetime Philly, but, you know, those things are probably a thing, uh, really a, a, a fact in the, from the past. That's about it, I, I think. But I wanted to ask you, uh, how do the Phillies look to you uh, at this point, right? At, you know, here we are towards the end of January. Well, they're you know, they're in a tough division, you know, and uh... – uh, they, you know, I think um, they took care of the, their first order of business. If I, if I'm correct, was to take care of Aaron Nola. Yeah, they took care of that. Uh, they're bringing back a very, a very nice squad, and they've got, you know, hopefully, like you, as you mentioned, having Bryce Harper for a full year um, will help. Um, I, I think they, they look pretty good. I mean, I, I don't think they've taken a step back. I think if you uh, you know, if you're ready, I think they're ready to play 162 games right now and compete in that division. I'm sure they have a few more, uh, a few more holes that they'd like to clog and get a little bit more depth, but they've got plenty of time to do that. But, uh, you know, they, they, they haven't taken a step backwards in any, in any part of the team uh, from last year. So I think that's a, that's a good first step. Yeah. They signed the this, How about Washington? What, what about Washington? Because, you know they 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 had some players and then now I see where they they're still talking about trading pitchers and doing this and that. How do you view uh, Washington at the moment? The Nationals are a team that, when I look at a team that's trying to build, 
for the future, and that's what they're doing. They're still building the future. Um, I always look it up the middle. Um, I'm an old I'm an old school guy like that. I think I've mentioned to you guys before. I really like to look at catcher, shortstop, and center field, and of course, you know, the center of the diamond, the pitchers. And uh, they've got themselves a nice catcher. Um, they picked them up from the Dodgers and the Scherzer and Trey Turner deal. Uh, Ruiz, Kybert Ruiz. Um, they've got uh, C.J. Abrams over at shortstop, and they've got Victor Robles in center. And I think that's a very solid defensive uh, mix of defense and offense up the middle. Um, and I see they did that. They picked up Joey Gallo, um, you know, to take a risk on him for five millions. So they've picked up, they've got a good up the middle base. Um, now they have to build out from there and add some, uh, add some thump to the lineup. And that's, I think where they're heading. And I think that's a team that we could see like a team like them and the pirates could make that jump to 82 to 84 wins. And if something very special happened, uh, maybe a little bit better. But I think, the, you know, the, those two teams I just mentioned, the Pirates and the Nationals, are trying to trend towards over 500 uh, next year. And I think that would be a nice leap for both of them. I think your conversation about Gallo is a little surprising because $5 million, first of all, surprised me. But more than that, he strikes out so much, and he doesn't move runners along. And one thing Washington, one thing Washington hasn't been doing, they have been moving runners, and they they lose games four to three, three to two, or they win games ten to one. Uh, you know, you, to yeah. me, they have a lot. Pardon? You got you got to remember with Joey Gallo, you're 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 dissecting him from the offensive standpoint. He's also a very very good defender, and he provides a lot of value with his glove. At $5 million, that's equivalent to what Ramon Laureano is going to make playing part-time in Cleveland. And that's, that's about what other guys are going to make uh, platooning. Uh, Joey Gallo, no, he, he strikes out too much, which is true. But you, when you, you, you can't have a lineup full of Joey Gallos. No team can. You also can't have a lineup of two, 280 hitters with 310 on base percentage and no power. You, know, right. you have to have a blend. You need guys that can drive the ball out of the park and clean up the bases, and you need guys that can get on base. So the guy that strikes out a lot doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. And I think what the Nationals are trying to do is try to build up a little bit of uh, clean up those bases with a little bit of power in the lineup. I think they were kind of lacking in power, and I think they're trying to build out on that. A Joey Gallo risk for one year. I mean, they are loaded in the outfield in the minors. I mean, they got they – got, uh, uh, two or three of the best young kids coming up um, that aren't going to be w- well behind, and they're going to make some fast uh, fast moves. And um, Gallo on a one-year bridge is a perfectly a perfectly fine um, uh, stopgap. Roger. Well, I think a f- five million uh, deal for Joey Gallo is a steal. I mean, uh, with like what you would say, and he does strike out. A lot of guys strike out. Reese Hoskins used to strike out a lot. I mean, you know, and uh, but the uh, you have to look. I mean, to get a, a guy of his quality for five million today, I mean, oh wow, sign him up. But um, yeah, well, what, let's go ahead, Steve. Yeah, I mean, when you right now, James Wood is not far away. Dylan Cruz, although he just came out last year, is not far away. Uh, the, the team is ready to bring these young outfielders along, and Joey Gallo is a nice ambassador. 
There you go. Let me. Uh, what is the uh, talking about the uh, NL East? How about the, the Marlins? What do you think uh, about them? We talked about the. You know, the Braves are pretty uh, stable. They have a problem with the uh, the, the local uh, sports network, obviously. You know, Valley Sports. That's all in that uh, that company, that group. Uh, but what do the Marlins look like to you on surface? Yeah, they've got all the young guns on, on in the center of the diamond. You know, they still have, uh, you know, another one coming along that we've been waiting on. I know you guys are familiar with Sixto Sanchez, who's been mm-hmm. unable to stay healthy, but he finished last year healthy. Um, they were decimated by injuries last year. They got a nice little base, but uh, they're going to need some things to go right. I mean, they, they need Josh Bell to be the Josh Bell from a couple years ago. Um, they need John Birdie to stay healthy and get his legs back under him. Uh, they're going to need players all around the diamond to take a step up and, and advance another year. Like Jesus Sanchez is going to have to be even better than he was. Uh, Brian, Brian De La Cruz is going to have to step up. And they're going to have to find some uh, diamonds in the rough um, in their system. And, uh, they, you know, the higher of Pete Bendix, I'm sure they're going to be on the right track um, of putting the team and the roster together. But they, they've got a few more holes to fill. Um, they're going to have to probably spend a little bit. Uh, they also have the the mystery of Abisal Garcia. Can he ever? Can that guy ever turn back and become even serviceable? So, uh, anytime you've got pitching, and they do um, in the bullpen and in the rotation, anytime you have that, I'll give you a chance. So, you know, we'll have to see how the offense comes around to support that pitching. But they have a very nice staff. Stevie, you know, always say the Yankees will last. <laughs> how, <Yeah>. Mr. Boone? <laughs> How are they going to make out with all the moves they've made so far uh, this year? They didn't get they got one of the two people they really wanted, but they didn't get the pitcher they really wanted. Do your evaluation of where the Yankees are right now? Well, you know, when I evaluate, you know, rosters a lot of times, you know, I, I, I use the term ceiling and warts. You know, you can either evaluate by warts of a player or you can evaluate on the ceiling. When you look at the Yankees, they fit in that mold. You've got Garrett Cole, whose ceiling is incredibly high. We all know that, and we expect him to reach that ceiling. And then you've got Marcus Stroman, who you, you know he has a different gear than what he's, uh, that he did last year. He's been injured you know, parts of the last two seasons, but when he's on, he's very accomplished. Uh, the next guy who's off, if you look at his warts, would be Carlos Rodon. He was hurt last year, was kind of a, a non-factor for the entire season. Right. But he has a very high ceiling. And then you look at Nestor Cortez, who two years ago was very good, and last year was injured. It was a wasted season. So you start saying, okay, if you're the Yankees and you look at, you know, Marcus Stroman and Cortez and Rodon and Garrett Cole, you get those four guys pointed in the right direction with that offense you could build around that team. You know, you can see something positive happening in the Bronx. Stevie, as we get close year. to the opening day, uh, we're going to get you on the night before, the Wednesday before the opening day, and we'll go over where you think we are at this point in the American League and the National League. And as always, thank you very much. Information when you're on always comes out first. Thank you, guys. <laughs> you're the best, Thank Steve. you. Take care. All right, take care. All right, let me go back to uh, Frank. I, I didn't hear who he said we got on the list now. We got Mike. Mike Simzak's next? Okay. Yes, All right, is. Mike, nice to have you on, Baltimore, Washington area. Ball, and Mike, of course, 
covers everything down there from soccer to basketball to football, the whole jam in Washington. And uh, I mentioned at the top of the show that it looks like your football coach is going to wind up maybe in Philadelphia coaching with the Eagles next year. So your thoughts on that? Um, look, uh, Philly needs an offensive coordinator and they need a defensive coordinator. I think the other thing that they're looking for, gentlemen, is an adult in the room, somebody who can show Nick Sirianni uh, what it's like to be an effective coach in the NFL. And by the way, um, I was neglected. Great to talk to you all again. I hope you all both are doing very, very well. Roger, Dawn. Good talking. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll tell you, we're all coming along. That's right. Roger, you're up. Mike, uh, I know the MLS, uh, you know, you and I talked about last week. It's getting close to uh, uh, training camps. And uh, uh, any anything I, we, we talked about last week about a couple of the uh, signings that occurred uh, here and, and and with the union, um, you know, has there been any uh, news uh, that uh, has been breaking uh, that I've missed in the last uh, week? No, not a bit, Roger. Um, this has been the slowest transfer window that I can ever remember. There aren't a lot of players moving, and that's odd. Um, the most of the European teams are constrained by salary cap issues, if you will. And the MLS is kind of catching the back end of that. I was looking, um, we did our soccer podcast. Anybody who is interested in soccer, I, I suggest that you go out and look too many guys soccer show. We do a great job with that, but, we spent a lot of time talking about that, and there was nothing. There's just nothing. So, again, the MLS is what I thought they were going to be. I've spent a lot of time looking at what uh, Atlanta United have done. I've spent a lot of time looking at what the other teams have done, Philadelphia Union have done. And, again, I have no idea what is actually going to what the game on the field is going to look like until they start uh, playing games. That's a little unusual because normally you certainly get a lot of pre-season uh, activity as to who's coming in, who's going out, uh, what the team looks like compared to last year, and you're saying that's just not happening. No, Don, I'm telling you, there has been no movement in about January. That? This has been one of the most unusual windows that I've seen. There's been no movement. And all right, let's go. Let's I've go back to the. Let's go back to. Let's go back to the NFL again. And let's go to. Let's go to Washington. What What do you see happening with all the changes, the coaching staff, everything that's going on there? What do you see happening with the the Commanders? Roger was asking me. They brought in uh, Adam Peters who was the assistant GM with the 49ers. So the coaching 
the um, preliminary staff, the guys that they had assembled, that Josh Harris had assembled, brought in Adam Peters. Uh, we're still looking for a head coach here in for 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 the Commanders. Um, I know that they interviewed Eric Bieniemy, uh, who the incumbent offensive coordinator, earlier this week. Next week they're going to fly out to uh, Detroit, and they're going to talk to um, Brian Johnson and um, Alan Glenn, uh, the the offensive and defensive coordinator for the Detroit Tigers, or the, so the, Lions. Or the Detroit Lions. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So that's where they are right now. The process is still evolving. Well, I thought I just, that it might be. I thought it might be because of um, the playoff. Well, that would tie into the playoffs. But um, I thought that uh, it may be that since he came from the Forty ers that they, uh, if the Forty ers make it to the Super Bowl, it might not be until after the Super Bowl. It may if not he be. pick somebody. Yeah, it may not be. Um, the one thing I know is that there's – I don't think in the commander's uh, interview process there's anybody on the 49ers staff that they're looking at right now on the coaching staff-wise. Uh, it looks like they're very interested in the Lions' offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. And, I and that think was that like the Eagles little... last year, you know, when uh, yeah. Sykin and, and, yeah, both of them uh, got hired as head coaches after the Super well, Bowl. Well, don't, don't you have your, have your head coach in place first before you start hiring defensive and offensive coordinators? Don't you want to work with the guy that's going to be the, the coach of the team? Yeah, well, that's what they're they're going out for. Um, that's what they're, they're after. Go look for. That's what they're after. They're going to go out, and they're looking yeah. for their next head coach. Um, the fact that they're interviewing Aaron Glenn, I think in this coaching carousel that we're talking about in the NFL, he's underrated. Um, when you look at what the Detroit Lions actually have on defense and what he has done, everybody's talking about what they do on offense. What they've done on defense, Aiden Hutchinson is a great player. Brian Branch is a great player. Other than that, name me two guys on the uh, uh, Lions defense right now. Not very many people can, and we're going to have to end it right there. Mike, because we're out of time in this segment, but thank you very, very much as always. Next week, maybe we'll have MLS making some big news. Maybe we'll have the commanders hey, hey, making some I'll big talk to you every. I'll talk to you all every week that you want to talk to me. Okay, <laughs> have a great week, Mike. Good, good, good being with you. Well, I haven't talked no. to Doug Hamilton in quite some thank time, you. our PGA professional. Finally going to get back with him, and a couple of things I want to talk about other than uh, this week's golf tournament. Uh, I want to talk about a, a, an event that happened last weekend, 
Doug, we had a, a young man, a, a sophomore at uh, Alabama that uh, won a golf tournament, a PGA golf tournament, first time since Mickelson did that years and years ago. Uh, I, I did not have a chance to see the tournament, unfortunately. Maybe you did. But he must have had a heck of a four rounds. Well, I think the the first question I have to ask is, geez, I feel like I haven't talked to you in a couple of weeks. Have, did you did you fill out the proper paperwork for the paid time off and all that, or how does that work? Did I fill out the paperwork for what? For paid time off. You took vacation time? I haven't talked oh, to you. Oh, paid time. Oh, no, no, no. I, no, no. Uh, I, well, I don't have to worry about that because Frank, <laughs> Frank pays you with or without. You don't have to show up. Whenever you come in, whenever you come, whenever you come in, he just says, look, uh, nice to have you back here with us, and here's your check. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Don, I mean, everything yeah. with Fran, with Don is dollars and cents, okay? Right. But he, And he's got plenty of it, but he doesn't want to share anything. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Look, I, right, Frank? I met, I met Frank one time, and he, and he bought me breakfast. That's all I can tell you. I mean, it was simple. There you go. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Um, the man is the man, yeah. man is Santa Claus three hundred and sixty five days a year. That's right. <laughs> no, oh. I mean, uh, incredibly generous. I mean, I've had uh, you know some tough times uh, since I started talking on the show, and and Frank has always you know met me with a, a text message or um, you know a phone call or something. It's it's been really it's been wonderful. I mean, it's you know he's he's a wonderful guy, and and I really he appreciate. Is. All, all the things that he's done. And I, I can say the same thing, Roger, you know, you and, and Don, um, with your many, many years of experience and wisdom in, in the business, um, I've learned a lot uh, since I started, you know, the first time. Hell, I remember the first time I think I ever called was we were doing football picks. And uh, right. you guys invited me back to do it the second week. And, you know, how many years later? The Six, seven, eight, history. ten years? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's been wonderful. I mean, um, you know, it's. I look forward Let me to calling it. Let me tell you something, Doug. When you get good people, there's mm-hmm. nothing like it. I mean, you could say what you want to about this business, but when you're fortunate mm-hmm. enough to get good people to work with you, it's it's really a it's a blessing. I'm telling you, it, it just well, is. Well, I can tell you the the cool part about you know doing this every week is the fact that we're not all in the same room, you know. So. Yeah it's there's there's cues that you take from people when you communicate with them that you know it's like your turn to talk or you know that the subject is changing or you know just different verbal and and, and different cues that you would pick. we're not in the same room and i and right. i hate to say this but you, this isn't scripted for all the people that are listening there's no hey we're going to bring on doug hamilton this week and we're going to ask him these three questions well you might but i don't i don't know the damn questions you're going to ask me right so <laughs> it's it, it, it's it's really been cool for me to understand to, to, to you know think on the fly and, and just kind of come up with some different answers you know off script well i give you uh, one you know you're going to get what's lamar going to do this weekend that's the you knew you were going to get that question because yeah. we uh, wrestled well, we wrestled that all around all winter yeah right um you know, uh, my gut tells me you're going to get another MVP of performance because I think he's the clear-cut MVP. Um, you know, I think that after signing his, his uh, awfully large contract that he's uh, proved this year that, that he um, is the most valuable player, not on, you know, just, you know, the Ravens, but in general for the for the entire league. So, right. um, you know, all, all we heard last week, at least all I heard last week was, 
Um, you know, 2019, uh, home field advantage, the Ravens lost. Lamar's 1-3 in the playoffs. He has the lowest quarterback rating uh, since the number has been created. And C.J. Stroud. Those were all the, the narratives that the media pushed that, that I was aware of. Um, and then all Lamar did was go out and, you know, be responsible for four total touchdowns and kind of stick it up the backside of all those different people and Houston Texans in that second half. And it was really fun to watch um, him totally dominate that game in, in the second half. And, and he played, um, you know, carefree kind of football. He was loose. He ran more than normal. I mean, he, he rushed for 100 yards. Um distributed the, the football as, as it needed to be, um, and, and the Ravens did exactly what they needed to do. And I, I look forward to seeing another good matchup this week with Patrick Mahomes, who, um, you know, kind of sets the, sets the bar for a lot of the quarterbacks in the league, is, is probably the best in the business. Um, Andy Reid's been doing this an awful long time and, and has won, you know, a couple Super Bowls. Um, but in general, the Kansas City Chiefs don't really scare me in terms of of what they used to be comparative to what they are now. Um, you know, we'll certainly see when they kick the football off. I think the weather could have a little bit of a, a say in what happens with um, with some possible rain in the forecast. But um, I expect Lamar to be Lamar and, and do MVP-like things. Well, it, it, it's, it, the, uh, the, the Ravens are probably the best defense that uh, the Chiefs have faced all season. Yeah, you know, when, um, uh, I mean – I I don't know of any uh, anyone that's better. Yeah, well it's it's nice to have Kyle Hamilton played a nice role in that in that last game. Um, I saw that Marlon Humphrey did practice in full today, which is a good sign. Uh, hopefully moving forward. Um, but Mike McDonald has um, that defense pretty tuned up in terms of the calls that he makes and. You know, the, when I was watching that Houston game, they were only rushing four people, and they were still getting to the quarterback. You know, because mm-hmm. this isn't the old Wink Martindale defense of having to blitz people all the time, and then you leave your corners and safeties on an island. He's getting pressure with just four people, and uh, certainly that that allows uh, other guys to do different things. And I think, you know, Travis Kelsey is obviously well since he started dating Taylor Swift, he hasn't been worth a damn. But in general. Um, he could be a problem, but I think that, you know, the Ravens have two really good linebackers in Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen who are uh, able to run with pretty much anybody and, and make some of those, you know, first and second level tackles. Um, uh, they dominated you know, play the game the other night. They really did. Yeah, Their linebackers sure. were everywhere. Yeah, and and Kyle Hamilton is a joker. Um, he needs He needs to be dealt with in terms of the role that he plays, um, which is all over the field. Uh, he'll come down in the box and he'll hit you and, he almost had an interception, and, and he's he's a game record when it comes to that second and third level as well. Um, so, I don't know. I'm really, again, cautiously optimistic about the Ravens playing um, a good football game. I was a little nervous, uh, I guess, in that Houston game when they returned the punt. And it was 10-10, and I thought, I'll be really 10-10, to you know what I mean? Like, And then all of a sudden, just the wheels came off at Houston in that second half, and we started scoring some points, and I told Frank, I said, I cracked a beer right around, you know, one of those points in time, and then off we went. So, um, you know, hopefully it won't be – I mean, good games are always fun to watch in AFC and NFC championships, but I'd like to see a, a Ravens-Lions Super Bowl. I think that'd be fun. Right. Well, look, you look at the uh, look at the line, 
in favor of the Ravens. You get two for being at home field advantage. So you're really talking about a team that's yeah. almost uh, a toss-up. And I agree pretty much that's that's the way I would look at it. I would say it's two teams that either one could win. If Jackson mm-hmm. has this kind of game, and the only thing I would say about that, Doug, maybe you agree or disagree, I mm-hmm. thought he ran the ball terrifically last week, very effectively, but I also thought he ran it very smartly. He got down. He yeah. didn't get himself really in a position where he was going to. If he knew he was going down, he went down. And uh, yeah. he really protected well, himself, which is what you have to do if you're in that situation. Yeah, I, th- I think um, Ronnie Stanley played, I think, um, maybe one of his best games at left tackle. He's been in and shuffled in and out of the lineup. They have um, a rotation with Patrick McCary and, and um, another guy that, that come in and out of there, Fa'alele, I think his name is. And, um, you know, he played a really good game, and I, I think they kept Lamar pretty clean. But, you know, he he's, he's as you said, you know, he scurried when, when the pocket got into a problem and he could, you know, make a difference with his legs. Um, you know, some of those calls I think were – were scripted for runs that, that he went um, to, but he he was efficient with the football. And, and I think, you know, for all those people that had criticized Lamar for not being able to, um, you know, do different things, I mean, he is pretty efficient. He's right around 70% completion rate. Um, you know, he's not going to wow you. He can throw for 300 yards a game, but he can also throw for 150, and we can still win with his legs and, and do different things. I just – you know, Ray Lewis had had said, you know, there's a different look in Lamar's eyes. There, you know, it's he takes what they give him. He takes what they give him, and that's what you're supposed to do. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Roger, I mean, you're up. Well, you know, I was thinking about you uh, earlier this afternoon uh, after school, Doug, because uh, we were talking Ira Kaufman, and he was on with uh, Chris Russo, and but prior to him was Norm Bulash on. And, boy, uh, he was giving tremendous insight into that championship Colts team. Uh, you know, I think that was Super Bowl V. And uh, just when he uh, – I don't even know whether uh, – do you re- remember him or you were too young? Yeah, no. Um, let's see. I would have been uh, – what, fir- what, was, what was the first Super Bowl? What, 1960-what? Uh, seven, 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 was it? Seven, seven, yeah, seven, yeah, yeah. So I, I was. Uh, it was the early seventies, yeah. And he he was drafted, I think, number six or seven, something like that. Okay. And yeah. uh, you know, he was with uh, Jim O'Brien. Uh, he talked about him, and but uh, just to show you the way he was. Uh, really overwhelmed that he was being interviewed uh, because mm-hmm. he said to uh, Chris, uh, he said, uh, are you in Baltimore? And he says, no, no, I'm, I'm a national uh, 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 the, uh, radio host. And, mm-hmm. But he was, uh, Russo was really into this and now talking to the old-time players because, mm-hmm. you know, of course, <clears throat> growing up with one, I mean, growing up with them. And I, I went to see, when I was in high school, uh, Johnny Unitas, uh, the mm-hmm. uh, Big Daddy Lipscomb, uh, play at Upper Darby High School in a basketball game against Eagles players. I mean, you know, so when I hear about Norm Bulash, I mean, sure. yeah, I was an adult then. I, I was married. Yeah. I was working. I had transferred. But it was just very insightful. Mm-hmm. And I thought – 
you would have really enjoyed it because, you know, you grew up as a Colts fan. Well, but he was I mean, great. Was, you know, look, um, my mom and dad uh, listen to the show pretty much every week that I'm on, and uh, I can just – I'm channeling my, my inner dad right now where he's smiling, listening to the names that you're mentioning and the old Baltimore Colts and what that probably meant to him um, as I remember – um, I, I'm pretty sure that my dad had a pair of Gino Marchetti's cleats at, at our house uh, that was given to him by one of the athletic trainers. Um, well, the I mean, three they, of I us could... used to eat at Gino Marchetti's uh, hamburger places. <laughs> Everyone, body goes yeah. to Gino's. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Art Donovan and Johnny Yu and, you know, all, all the old-time Colts uh, that used to be accessible during that time. Uh, out in the community, the public, and the bars, and, and all those different places where you could, you know, uh, probably, you know, rub elbows with Art Donovan at the bar and look at him and say, hey, buddy, you want a beer? Yeah, sure, I'll have one. Let's go. I mean, you know, it's yeah. certainly different uh, nowadays. But, yeah, I mean, that was a, that was a wonderful uh, era, I think, in, in, in football. And, you know, when Dad and Mom come over and we watch football here, we oftentimes talk about the old times, and I'm um, – always um, inquisitive and I listen and, 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 you know, similar to that, you know, you're talking about the mad dog there, Russo talking about, um, you know, interviewing old people and I don't know, just um, having that, um, you know, for, for all the people that, that came before us, you know what I mean? That, that gave us an opportunity to do different things, I think is pretty cool. And, you know, it's, it's certainly a stark contrast when you watch football nowadays as compared to when my dad played and, and his, semi-pro days and what you were allowed to do and not allowed to do and touch this guy and that play right. and you know, all these different things. Well, you know, if you talk to old-time baseball fans, they talk about Bobby Thompson's home run at Polar Ground. Mm-hmm. You talk about football. You talk about the game that, that really made the National Football League and National Television wonder, you know, was, was Baltimore uh, playing the Giants and uh, United us on that overtime drive and the, the penalty that wasn't called, not penalty, but the out-of-bounds call that they didn't mm-hmm. call on the Frank Gifford. And, you know, you never forget those games. Now, those are games you, sure. you know, you, 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 as, as a, well, a young church growing up. Uh, you know, well, I'll tell you, not- the, the thing that got me about uh, Norm Bulash, I, I mean, I never even considered anything like this. He was drafted by Don Shula with the Colts. And then Shula goes to Miami. And he plays against Shula. And then he uh, also played, he uh, talked about the different coaches, even in championship games, and winds up back uh, or winds up with the Colts. And I guess uh, Don, you and Frank would know this. I guess McCaffrey was the coach, right, of the Colts after Shula? Yeah. Yeah. And and he talks about that. I mean, I never even thought of – I mean, I remember McCaffrey at the time, but, you know, I'm trying to put all this together, and I'm just thinking, holy smokes, this guy, you know, he played with or for uh, Hall of Fame coaches through and through. And, I mean, and they talked about Carol Rosenblum, and, uh, you know, it was just – it was fascinating. I mean – I think just because of the games in Baltimore this weekend, uh, it just was – what a great uh, 
uh, a great avenue to ha- hear today on the radio after uh, Levy. Well, I, I think too, Roger. The unfortunate part is Marvin Levy doesn't get the kind of credit. I mean, he went to the Super Bowl three times. He lost it, but hey, you know, he was there. I mean, he, yeah, you know, he, he made that Buffalo franchise something to talk about, and uh, you know, but you know, you don't hear much said about him about oh, geez, he was a great coach. He was this. He was that. You know, all they ever say about him is, well, yeah, but he lost three Super Bowls. Well, not that yeah. easy. No, yeah, and, and and what they did uh, on Sunday was Scott Norwood returned <laughs> yeah. with the mm. field goal wide right instead of, what was it, mm-hmm. wide well, I guess it was wide right before, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I, I mean, just, I think that your your father, I know you're, you're all happy. I want to know, sure. what's the uh, temperature of the uh, – fans in Baltimore about this upcoming game? I, I don't think it could really be any higher. I mean, I don't know what, um, you know, is, is possible from a decibel level in M&T Bank Stadium, but I think they're going to get there and cap it. Um, you know, we haven't hosted an AFC championship in 50, what, two, 53 years, whatever it's been. Um, that place is going to be on fire. Um you know, the, the, the game that I went to, that we went to, uh, the Dolphins game uh, where we just obliterated them, was pretty electric. Um, there's there's a vibe going around right now in that in this town in Baltimore that we're looking to win a, a, a Super Bowl. And, and Lamar's, uh, you know, it's all about Lamar. Uh, so I, I think there's a very, very high expectation. Um, and there's a good vibe going on. And Don, to your point, you know, remember in different games, I'll, I'll never forget that little bastard that reached over in, in Yankee Stadium and grabbed that baseball when the Orioles lost to them. What was his name? Je- Jeffrey Mayer, whatever his name was. I'll never forget that and how pissed off I was and how they couldn't get it right. You know what I mean? Like just stuff like that that you remember growing up and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I've been lucky enough to see two Ravens Super Bowls, and I'm, I'm hopeful to see a third here, so. Well, give us a yeah. Uh, we only got this. Uh, only got about two minutes to go before we have to jump out of the way of Frank. But uh, give us a give us a score. What do you think it's going to be? Close? Um, I don't know. I, mean, I think I think Kansas City and and Baltimore. You've got a good defense on on either side. I think the Ravens' offense is is better than Kansas City's. I think you're going to see, you know, some field position stuff, some some rust early on, um, some turnovers maybe. Um, but again, I, I think Baltimore wins this football game. Um, I mean, they've been they've been they've been playing really well. Uh, they've been scoring a lot. Give, of me, points. give me a score now. We're out of time. Give me a score. Thirty-one seven. Thirty-one seventeen. Baltimore. Oh, there wow. you go. Everybody, tune in next week. Thirty-one seventeen. Doug's online. Roger, once again, thanks. Thanks to all our guests tonight. Doug, week. always a pleasure. We'll get back with you next week. Take it yeah. over, Frank. You got it. Okay. I want to thank everybody for being on, and uh, thank you for all you guys for the nice words. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women of the Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in a uniform, please give them a break. Give them a handshake, a wave, an eye, a bike eye, anything. Just let them know that you know they're there. Not everybody in uniform is bad. Uh, <clears throat> these programs are dedicated <clears throat> The men and women of law enforcement and fire, fire protection that have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman Jeffrey Colcott, 
Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffrey Yazowitz, Sergeant Thomas Bainger, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Ricky Childers, San Diego Officer Mike Hendler, uh, Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Carpet Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Gowan, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant uh, Chris Levake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman and Officer Chris from Lakeland PD, Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County PD, <coughs> Deputy Josh Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department, Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department, Captain Chris Levake, I'm sorry, Leach, of Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Artis Hope, Wilmington Fire Department, Lieutenant Jerry Ficus, Wilmington Fire Department, Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol, Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol, Chief Al Hogle, Longwood Cape Police Department, Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department, Deputy Mike Hargrove, Pinellas County Sheriff's Department, Deputy Blaine Lane, and Deputy Chris Meyer, Polk County Sheriff's Department. <clears throat> and on the first year anniversary of the loss of Sergeant Christopher Fitzgerald, Philadelphia Sheriff's Department, and Temple University Police Department, and Sergeant Rod- uh, Rodriguez of the Philadelphia Police Department. Ladies and gentlemen, <clears throat> you may be 10-7 at this point in time, but at some time we'll be 10-10 we'll at the table of the Lord. Until that time, when the road's right up to meet you, may the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields, the sun shine lightly on your face. And may the good Lord keep, till that we meet, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the palm of his hands. Good night, and thanks for listening, and have a great week. And proudly to
County dispatch in 1999. County dispatch in 1999. County dispatch to 1999. All units be advised, 1999's responded to this last emergency. May God rest his soul and all the souls of the faithful departed. Good night, Bob. We love you and we miss you.